I'm your host, Adam P. Kennedy. Welcome to America's Place in the World, featuring retired four-star United States Marine Corps General and former U.S. Special Envoy to Israel and the Palestinian Authority. Don't use any. We're looking at the world and America's place in it. In this episode, we're discussing race, religion, and fake news. It's coming up right now. What's the most fascinating thing you heard? <laughs> uh, I think the most fascinating thing was the, the idea that uh, when I said, you know, we've, we've had our first black president and the idea that... Uh, that you 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 see it differently, and it's very enlightening to hear your perspective about that. To me, that was the most fascinating thing, because it's obviously it's poignant to me, mm-hmm. uh, and I get it. And I hadn't I hadn't thought about it in that regard, um, but I, I think you're right. I think that there is there is a tremendous power, and you talked about you know your Italian story, the immigrants, but I yeah, the American experience is is quite remarkable. Yeah. And I think, you know, having but someone reach the top one, who was one going through that. One thing about America, and so it's something that, like, Italian-Americans didn't go through anywhere that goes through, is the major blot on our existence as Americans is slavery. That's number one. Uh, nothing else compares to it in terms of a flaw. Uh you know, we were we were created with the idea that we were going to be something different, something better. All men are created equal. We were going to grow into this, you know, even at that time, ad- admitting our flaws and things we needed to change. This is back when our founding fathers were establishing it. But we're going to grow into something great. And the principle is going to be we will continue to grow. Our reach will always exceed our grasp. Slavery was the big drag for centuries there. So I think we have yet to uh, come to grips with uh, accepting that it was the major flaw and finding a way to come out of it totally uh, to say, not that you put it behind you, you should never do that because it's something that you need to understand and, 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 uh, uh, I think future generations need to understand. So one of the key ways is to have son or daughter of slaves achieve the highest position in the um, uh, United States. Cause I think that signifies that, you know, w- we have, we have reached one goal or objective that we needed to do to show that all those that suffered through slavery were in fact equal. And that would prove the equality in my mind. So that's why I think that black American experience is unique, that Italian Americans, Irish Americans and all, we had our own American experience, but that was so unique because of, of the roots it came from, that that has to be one element of the, uh, you know, of the, of the validation of our guiding principle that everyone's created equal, that someone coming from those roots, the darkest <laughs> roots in our history to, Achieve the presidency, and do you think it makes a difference? If, if uh, is it more powerful one way or the other, whether it's a uh, a man or a woman? No, I don't. I don't think so. Uh, I think uh, it won't matter because I think down the road we're probably going to have. If you don't get if you get a man first, you'll get a woman eventually. You know, it'll it'll open the door to where uh, you know it doesn't matter. Look. 
one of the one of the big uh, concerns about Kennedy was he was Irish American. I mean, it was unbelievable. He had anti-Irish, uh, you know, that someone like that could be a uh, uh, president. So, uh, you know, when uh, when uh, Romney was running, you know, people that were anti-Mormon. You right. Know? <clears throat> so, I mean, you know, and those are minor compared to the, like I said, that's another, those are the separate American experiences. Uh, but the big one, because of the, it being the biggest flaw in our existence is, is the, is slavery. So how you, how you come out of that is critically important. You know, how we've tried to, uh, rationalize slavery away. It was bad enough while it was going on. When you, you read about, uh, Calhoun, uh, you know, when, uh, when he was, uh, in the Senate justifying slavery, uh, justifying it by the Bible and religion and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, differences in men and all. When you read about that, it's bad enough. But then after the Emancipation Proclamation, the way it was rationalized in a way, people actually saying, well, the Civil War wasn't really about slavery, which is bullshit. Right. It, was, it was predominantly about slavery. Uh, you eventually have to come to grips and be honest about your past. When I went to Richmond on the slave trail, you know, it was interesting because when they discovered the slave market in Richmond, the slave market by history was horrible. I mean, it was one of the, it was second only to uh, New Orleans okay. in scope. And they they had housed slaves there in horrible conditions. They, a lot of them died. They buried them there. I can't remember the guy's name that was the biggest slave uh, seller there that ran most of the operation. So there's this huge area that has uh, slaves that were buried there, has this whole history. And they only recently found it. And so what's interesting is why didn't they find it? Because they kind of knew where it was, but it didn't make any sense when you were looking for it. Over part of it is 95. Over another part of it is the railroad. And you got to believe when you look at this, the decisions made to go over this. In other words, they have found a strip in between it, which was really difficult to find. That along the way, people were just trying to cover it up. Yeah. You know, uh, that it wouldn't be found in, in, in some ways because you could see the, the scope and the, the horror of, of all that. Uh, you know, I always felt sorry for, uh, uh, Governor Wilder who tried to have a slave museum in Richmond and never could get the support for that, you know, uh, both financial and legislative supports despite being the governor. I think he was the mayor of Richmond too. Yes, he was. That's right. That's right. Well, no, it's it's a very, uh, you know, one of my, like many black Americans, you know, white and black on both sides. And uh, one of my ancestors, Wendell Robertson, he was the uh, governor of Virginia in the 1850s. But he owned 250 slaves. Yeah. And uh, he was one of the wealthiest men in Virginia at the time. And it's, uh, you know, for me, that's right, to have... You know, my mother talks about going down to Georgia and her mother, uh, her mother, her mother's mother was a slave. And so you're, you're only talking a separation of, you know, one or two generations. Yeah. 
Um, so it's it's still very very fresh. Yeah, but you know, I mean, it, it's part of our history. I mean, it, and and some of us who came, whose ancestors came way after that, or or after that, uh, it, you know, when you you come into this, that you're now an American, you inherit the American experience. You inherit the American history. So in some ways it's easy to say, I can prove my parents were nowhere, or grand, uh, ancestors were nowhere around this. And if anything, we were digging soil. We were poor peasants. But when you become an American, I believe you inherit that too. So there, you, you can't just blow it off by saying, you know, my ancestors weren't around. Uh, you're now an American. So everything... American now, you you have part ownership of. In some ways, uh, you, you know you gotta you gotta make America live up to everything your your ancestors thought it was when they came here. Yeah, so yeah. it becomes a responsibility too, regardless of when you became an American. Well, why do you think that we still have you know we have Black Americans, Irish Americans, Italian Americans, Hispanic Americans? Why do you? Well, what we just it, talked about, why do we still have that? Well, see, you, you have that more with black Americans than you do with the other. I mean, I look at my kids now. They don't identify as Italian-American. Well, first of all, they, they, they got German-Irish. They got, you know, they're Heinz 57 by given, you know, the, the, all the, the marriage and everything. My brother and sisters intermarried with Polish-Irish. So, you know, they're kids. I, I mean, my family is no, I'm the last of the, Italian Americans, one hundred percent. Debbie and I went on ancestry.com with our DNA and everything. We traced it, and I had my family traced back to Italy, you know, all the way back to the fifteen hundreds. Wow, uh, both sides. And uh, uh, but th- the problem is, I I can walk out on the street today, and no one knows I'm an Italian American. You walk out, <laughs> they know you're Black American or you know right. African American. Uh, so one, one problem is the, uh, assimilation is a lot harder as something, uh, identifies you right away. So that assimilation is is more difficult. Uh, probably 200 years from now, we won't have that difference because, I mean, obviously intermarriage, everything else that goes on, you, you won't have, uh, some significant trait that identifies you. So I think, you know, the, the Italian American identity is really become more and more diluted. And, okay. and it's amazing how in such a short time it has just over maybe two to three generations, it's become that way. I find people with an Italian name and I'll make some reference about Italian American. They don't relate to it at all. You know, uh, their parents did, but they really didn't, uh, I find more and more of that now. And the old Italian-American associations, groups, and everything are all dying out. It's a fact of assimilation. Yeah. And same with Irish and all. You know, St. Paddy's Day play, Columbus Day parade. I doubt you'll see them in, you know, yeah. 20 years, 25 years. <laughs> Don't even remember why you're doing it. <laughs> I mean, now everybody disowns Columbus. They're not even sure he was Italian. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's great. But I wanted to uh, talk to you about Jesus and Muhammad as strategic thinkers. 
Yeah, I well, it's hard to it's hard to to, to talk about those things because if you're a believer, obviously Jesus knows the future, and Muhammad knows the future, right? I mean, you got you have the ultimate prophet and you know and and the son of god it, talking from a believer's perspective uh uh and and so if if you're if you're supposedly blessed with being the son of god or being a, the ultimate prophet of god uh, even muslims believe jesus was a prophet though right. not the son of god so they of course they're strategic they know the future they're prophets and they have either divine essence or divine knowledge given to them. So they're, they are prophetic. Therefore, they're strategic. They know the future. They see the future. Uh, if you read, if you read what Jesus says by the, the gospels, he basically is in every time you read the gospels, he's saying, don't worry about today. You know, what does he say when they, when they come up to him with the coin and say, or they come up to him and talk about, uh, uh, Caesar, you know, uh, should we be in obeying Caesar or should we obey, you know, God? And render? he said, show me your coins. You got to face the Caesar. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Give unto God what is God's. In other words, he's saying in the long term, it's your eventual life for eternity with God. Don't worry about what's going on down here today. You know, get by. Don't think that, that your whole existence relies on whether you kill Caesar, fight him or comply with them. That's not what's important in life. So basically you're seeing a futuristic visionary view uh, from the Gospels. And I think in many ways in the Quran, you see the, the same things. It's how to live your life and how to live your life in, in the eyes of God, which really matters more than anything else. It's all about uh, how God views you in, in your life. So, of course, they're strategic because they know the future and they see it beyond just what's going on in the here and now. And, and, and so the definition of strategy is, is obviously it's describing a visionary future and where you want to go and how you're going to get there and everything. That's all what they're all about. So if you were Jesus lived. So let's let's take. Can we take away the fact that he's not the son of God? Can well, you, and 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 you look at him as a man. Did he have? Was he a strategic thinker? If you take away well, the whole you, son of if God, if you thing, say he he isn't divine, not the son of God, then you've got to acknowledge him as a prophet. Okay. Even the Jews called him rabbi, which meant he was a teacher, a scholar. Right. So. A prophet, by definition, what a prophet is, he he, he prophesizes the future. Uh, and, and that's the essence of strategy is the visionary view of the future and how to get to the, that, that goal, that vision or whatever. So, yeah, I don't think his divinity matters in terms of being strategic because he's if he's not divine in God, he's speaking for God, just like Abraham or Moses or any of the other prophets. Uh and, and again, even the Muslims believe that mm -hmm. he, he was a prophet. So, uh, you know, in both cases, they're, they're, they're prophetic. Therefore, they're strategic in, in what they, what they do. They, they're not transactional. They're not telling you how to deal with Caesar or how to, 
You know, they're, they're telling you, how, you know, what to live for for the future and what it means. And, uh, it, 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 it's not, the intent is not to, is not the interactions you have here on earth. Uh, the intent is how you go about that and how you demonstrate who you are, because that essence of who you are is what's going to get you to the strategic future you're headed for, which is a heaven, you know? So then are Peter and Paul strategic thinkers? Yes, because Paul is, is now proselytizing all around the world and he sees the importance to go beyond Jews and, and, and into the Gentile world and how this is a way to live your life for the future. Paul is translating everything into, he's spreading the word and the common word. Peter's building a church. So this is, this is the future. This is strategic, building the, you know, God's church on earth. So it, it, it is an extension of Jesus's strategic view. Both of them are accomplishing, uh, you know, the, the strategic view that, that, uh, uh, Christ has, which is, uh, you know, a church, meaning a community, which is the definition of church, uh, that seeks to accomplish everything that individuals need to do and be in order to achieve the, the goal, you know, the, the vision. And, and both of them are about that. And, and the third one was James. Right. Because they were the three leaders of the church at the time. So do you, do you think the people that acted, you know, the rabbis, the community, Jewish community that acted against Jesus, were they just sort of transactional? Uh, or did you think they had a... Um, they, were they strategic thinking thinkers? No, you think they were transactional because they were looking out for their own interests. He was saying things that would, you know, to them were violating their position, the Pharisees and the and and those who were controlling the the Jewish communal life and religious life. Uh, they were all about the temple. They were all about the money that's coming in. They're all about the relationships with Rome and their position, which is supported by Rome in order to keep peace. So their here and now welfare position and wealth was dependent upon not having the people buy into Jesus's message. And so if you read the Gospels, primarily why they want him out of the way is because he's talking about things that's going to undermine their here and now uh, welfare. So really quickly, why, why do you think this idea that, you know, President Trump always talks about fake news and why do you think his supporters have bought so solidly into that narrative? Well, <clears throat> I think for a couple of reasons. One, because it again, it, it feeds into something they want to hear. You know, let's say you're a liberal, I'm a conservative you say something and it takes me aback because I don't want to believe that. And, but you just told me that. And I, I, I'm thinking maybe you're credible. Then somebody comes up and says, you don't have to listen to him. He's lying. That's fake news. Oh, well, that feels good now, right? It feels good. Uh, uh, I was right all along, despite what he said. So if he can challenge everything and, and give you an assurance that 
what you heard, uh, it's like climate change. Uh, th- there's certain parts of cl- things, that, the majority of stuff that goes on is scientifically proven or sound, at least in, in, in its theory. But if somebody says it's a hoax, you know, climate change is a hoax, which he says, how can it be a hoax if I'm looking at the North Pole and it's not white anymore, you know, <laughs> or I look at Greenland and it's actually green? How can that be a hoax? <laughs> I mean, you know, give me a break. You know, but, but he can say it and you want to believe it. And so if you want to believe it, and of course, we now have news that comes in flavors. Look, I, I watch, and, and, and the other part is there is some fake news. I watch CNN sometimes, and they put some bullshit out. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah, I watch Fox, they put some bullshit out. MSNBC put some bullshit out. They all do. So, you, you, you know, you put out something that isn't correct for whatever motivation once, then it's easier to believe you you provide fake news, whichever side of the spectrum you're on, you know. So, uh, yeah, uh, they both sides do it. Yeah. I mean, and and I look at the I can't look at elect, uh campaign ads. I mean, it's so they're so bad. I mean, it, <laughs> yes, uh, but the rise of what is media, you know. If you talk to me, what is news media when I was you know, 14 years old, it was uh, Huntley Brinkley. It was, you know, uh, uh, it, it, it respected newsmen and, and journalists. Uh, Murrow and Yeah, Edward R. Murrow yeah. and uh, uh, Walter Cronkite. And, you know, uh, these were people that were respected. And, you know, there were there were rules that they live by in this industry now. But I right now... It, the credibility of a lot of journalists is just a few that, you know, stay above the, you know, the, the, the tainting of the news in some way. Can we recover from that? That one is going to be harder because of social media now and cable news, because we have blended editorializing with providing news, factual news. And when you do that, uh, it's, it's hard to walk that cat back. And there's so many sources. I can, I can find something to justify all my beliefs, even though maybe half of them are wrong. I'll find something out there. Some, some guy that does a podcast or, you know, uh, somebody that's on one of the cable news networks that tends to be where I'm, where I lean toward in terms of political belief or, you know, some sort of social media post or something. I can find it. And when I find it, it's a, I always tease my wife when she says, you know, they say, and I said, who's they, who is they? Or she'll say, people say, people, what people say? Tries her nuts. <laughs> well, no, that's one of the, I guess the pros and cons of the internet, right? I mean, it's a, uh, you know, I remember, you know, 10 years ago, my, you know, my kids would say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to get on the internet and you know, I'm doing my homework and so on. And I said, don't you, don't you dare get any information for the internet, pick up a book because most of the stuff on the internet is just, it's false. And it's written by some guy down the street who knows absolutely nothing. Now it's gotten better, but you're right. You, you can find anything you want to back up your position at this particular point. Thank you for joining us. Find us on Facebook at General Zinni APW and online at APKCG backslash APW. I'm Adam P. Kennedy, and 
This is America's Place in the World.